Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. Today's show is a little bit different. James Casey, a few weeks back, asked me to come on his show to talk downwinding, now that I am fully addicted to downwinding, and we have decided to double release it. So this is actually a Casey catch-up episode, um, but it's more of a conversation about downwinding, and I pick James's brain a good bit. I actually learned a ton from him, and we recorded this a couple weeks ago, and I have used so much of what I have learned already. So huge thanks to James for having me on, but also for for helping me out in this journey. James and Dave Kalama have been massively helpful in uh, hijacking, helping my learning curve. It has been so much faster than it would have been otherwise. And at the beginning, I wasn't tapping into that and had some shockers, kind of felt lost at sea. And then once I started using James and Dave as resources, it's uh, really expedited the growth. So I would say if you guys are interested in downwinding, James's course on downwinding, his downwind modules are probably the best way to learn. I just know that the nuggets that he's given me along the way, this podcast included, um, have been transformative in my learning curve. So give that a real look if you are getting in to downwinding. Um, and before we dive in, always huge thanks to the people that are supporting me and the show. You know, TJ has been helping with gear. Kalama sent the sup, uh, Kahoe Leash, and um, Jim Stringfellow sent infuses, all sorts of stuff. So uh, support the folks that support the show because I think that me being able to test gear makes me really happy, <laughs> but it also makes the show better because the uh, just the more that I can feel, the more understanding I have when I get to interview people that ride different brands, uh, just a broader spectrum of of understanding. And so I think that really helps. And last note before we dive in, the project with Cliffy at Unifoil is going really good. Um, the design that we are coming up with has gotten... I'm so frothy. We did some testing at the beginning of foil sections and some different ideas that we wanted to play with. And we did them based on a foil that we know worked, a unifoil that we know worked, uh, to really be able to test variables without testing the shape. And so now that we've kind of figured out, we've learned a lot from that process. Now we've taken that back to the design that I'm really frothy about doing. And the mold was just made and it should be, the foil should be done on Monday and shipping my way to test. So that is the most exciting thing that I can think of. And I cannot wait to get really deep on this first real prototype of the foil. And I'm sure it's going to go through a few iterations. I have never done anything that was perfect right out of the gate. Um, but, or even, you know, good, but I'm, I'm really excited about where it is right now. So, all right, you guys hope everyone is sending it fully. 
right now and enjoy this conversation. And big thanks to James for having me on. All right. Stoked to get the progression project on the Casey catch up. And I think we're going to do a bit of a um, double release. So on both our, I guess, channels. And um, I'm really excited to chat to Eric. It's been about 18 months. And last time we chat, um, there was lots of talk about downwind stuff, but you were kind of the sponge soaking it in. And I'm seeing yep. you now, you're putting it into practice. So cool. Yeah. Well, you know, what's really cool, James, is that I think you were the first foil guest I had on the show. I think you're right. Yeah. It was, I remember us chatting, you're like, oh, they've done lots of stop surf podcasts, but. Yep. And then, yeah, the foil was, that was it. And yeah. I wonder so what cool. our first time we chatted was. It's got to be like seven, eight years ago at this point. Um, I think the, the podcast was probably, it wouldn't have been more than five years ago because. But you came on the first one. You came on the SUP podcast before that. Oh, did I? I'm not sure I did. Ah, a long time ago then. Long time ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Our our, our paths crossed a long, a long way back. Yeah. Yeah, It's pretty cool. So are you surfing? Are you stop surfing still? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Are you? Uh, when the surf's good, I, I do, yeah. um, just mix it up, you know, Dude, the waves have been really good here and it's when the, I guess you live in Florida now, so why would you, but yeah, there's no reason. Yeah. Whereas, uh, in Sydney, we get good waves and I'm sure you saw that recent swell. Um, Josh Koo, one of the foil frothers got wave of so the day at that, dead man's crazy. That was insane. Mm. So, so that day I was surfing. <laughs> <laughs> Right yeah, on. but I guess I wanted to get you on. I've been we've been chatting for a while, and I'm like, and you've been trying to up your game for the downwind stuff, and I've been sort of prodding you, like, get on the sup, get on the sup. You've got the skills already. Let's just transfer them over, and um, looks like you've done that. And so I guess I wanted to explore, I guess, the hardships. Like, what was really hard? What was the hardest part in learning? Because you're very prof- like you're, I'm going to say proficient, but you're like advanced foiler now compared to mm-hmm. when we first chatted. Um, you were learning, <laughs> and now you're like. Yeah ripping which is awesome but um the the trick like you just because you're a ripper on a prone foil doesn't necessarily mean you can downward foil and basically i want to chat to you about that okay um let's see here what's the best way to start this the i guess downwind sup for me has been a marriage of two skill sets while learning a third so from our prone surfing, we got into doing runners. And in runners, you're hugging the coast. And Pedigo and I just did a show on them. If you want to like learn about what we do in runners, that's that's a good place to reference. But you're running seams, which would be kind of downwind bumps, but a little bit more organized, a little bit more feeling the effect of the bottom, really close to shore in and out of the surf. So using energy moving down the coastline, to basically bounce from wave to wave. And at the beginning, it was just about longer surf waves, like endless point breaks. And then it started to get a little bit competitive with distance. And then when it started to get competitive with distance, we started looking at it a little bit differently. And um, I've said this on the show, but Kahi came out here and spent a day with us foiling. And he was looking, he was approaching bumps so differently than anything that I had seen. And you know, the videos on Instagram or whatever don't do it justice necessarily. You're not getting to experience 
um, like the minimal energy and all the little places of energy in between everything. And so that was the first thing that changed my mind that maybe our coast would have some downwind options on offer. Um, so, so that was the first component of, of kind of this adventure. And then the second was sub skills and, you know, Kalama super rad and sent me out a board because we had been talking about he's been you and you and dave have both been trying to get me into this now for like the last year prodding yeah yeah. prodding yeah (laughs) and so it took dave just being like hey i've got a board i'm gonna send it to you no strings just see what happens Mm -hmm. and you know i didn't have a paddle i I, you know as much as (laughs) i subsurfed i said i didn't have a paddle i had to go out and buy a paddle yeah um so then I started going out on it and, you know, I did it a couple times and it was cold. It was over the winter and just out there by yourself and just kind of didn't get into it. And then finally, I don't know what made me want to do it again, but I was like, all right, I'm going to take this on. Oh, I know what it was. It was winging being out that far off, off the coast and seeing how the energy in the ocean is organized so much differently and so much better. Um, that's what got me thinking, okay, this, this is real. We can do this. I just have to start trying. And so I was pinging, I was pinging Dave for little tips here and there. And, um, I think that the amount that I subsurfed and the little boards that I used to ride helped tremendously because that wasn't an issue at all. Like one day of paddling, I was like back to riding. I don't think it's probably about a hundred liter board of six, four, 23. Um, mm-hmm. so that all made sense to me. And then it was just about figuring out what you're catching and and what to do and and TJ Bigwin sent me a 1440 Takuma and I had been going on pretty small wings and, and getting really frustrated I'd throw on the paddle a few times and I have a I have a 3 f bomb rule where if, where if I'm winging or if I'm trying something new and it's like three meltdowns I just go in yeah. and so I had that once or twice and then the 1440 came and um, it was one session after the 1440 that I started figuring out where the energy was started getting up and then it opened up the coast and now it's like I send it as much as possible. Uh, yeah. And then I guess your progression is exactly what, like I guess what I'm coaching on, online and, and with crew locally trying to learn to downwind. And that's like, if you already know how to prone foil proficiently, do your shore runners feel it just yeah. in the space. So you're just getting a really long wave, but you're also linking a few more swells. And, and, and like you mentioned uh, further out the sea, it's like almost more energy. I, I sort of describe shore runners, at least here, the, like obviously conditions are different everywhere. But here in Sydney, right. our beaches are only so long, three right. to four kilometers. So what's that, like two miles? It's sort of mm-hmm. our longest one locally. And um, but the energy is really, um, obviously it depends on the depth, but the energy here, when a wave comes through, that wave has a lot of energy. And in between right. the two waves, there's like nothing. So gotcha. so for downwind, as, as I'm sure you know from your winging, when you go further out to sea, there's less pronounced swells. Yep. And but that gap that's in between is full of opportunity. So yep. shore running, I sort of describe as um, a good way to get into it because it's like you're close to shore, you can just catch another wave easy enough. But it's actually in some ways harder if conditions aren't perfect because it, I call it the desert in between mm-hmm. the, the the oasis of the wave. You know, so yep. it's like there's all this energy of the wave, and sometimes that's too much for the big wings. And then in between, it's like you're just like looking for energy, but there's nothing. Whereas it's like the next step I talk about is going winging way out to sea because you have that safety blanket. If I come down, I can get back up easy. Yep. And just winging out in the ocean, you notice the difference of, you know, a shore runner close to shore. There's heaps of energy and then nothing. Out to sea, mm-hmm. you, it's like, oh, there's no energy out here. And I've chatted to a few guys um, saying it's not possible where I live. You know, it's an ocean, but 
the bumps are just too small at the back. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're on your way, but you're not quite seeing it yet. I'm like, just yep. keep trying, keep trying. And when you start to tap into those like tiny little chops, little, like the smallest ones are sometimes the best because they grow into big ones. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so like prone, sure runner to wing, free winging, to, to then learning the sub skills or learning the sub skills as you do that, then you're yep. going to, the light bulb moment comes, but it's kind of this progression and some people have a hard time seeing it. And I guess when people say that, like when they live in an, on a coastline with a big ocean, they say, oh, it's not possible to downwind here. I just mm-hmm. shake my head. I'm like, it's possible everywhere. Like guys yeah. are downwinding in lakes in the middle of Europe, you know, so it's, it's so cool. Like I'm frothing to see it all get bigger and bigger and more people are exploring it. And I think the fact, you know, that, that you're doing podcasts talking about the downwinding too, when you started off just more of a surf foil, it's just yep. going to get more people into it. So I'm stoked. Yeah. I, it's so fun. And it's like the days that are good for downwind here are shit for, you know, surfing. Yeah. And so it doesn't really compete with anything. They might compete with the wing a little bit, but I'd much rather be just downwinding than winging. Um, yeah. well, then let's talk about that. So, so a lot of wingers would yeah. sort of shake their head at that. Why would you prefer to wing than, uh, sorry, downwind than wing? So I think it depends on the day first, because mm-hmm. the last two days have been days that I've had an absolute blast on the wing, but it wasn't quite enough energy to be lit downwind to where you're working a lot. And I think that's the crossover point for me. Like, I like the wing a whole lot when there's just little, the good wind, but little bumps, you know, early in the wind or, you know, we're getting sea breezes these last couple of days. And so it starts coming up around one o'clock and you've got a 14 mile an hour wind, you know, by three 30, and then you've got little bumps, but it's, it's pretty hard. Um, mm. it's, it's like and, a lot more pumping and I guess, um, yeah. Yeah. You're not really gliding around a lot. You're like just searching. And I think, so what I've been doing on those days for training is anytime I can see white caps, I go out just to see what I can pop up in. And what's blowing my mind is I can pop up in pretty much on the 1440, which is a big foil, mm. but I can pop up in pretty much anything now. So now I have a whole lot of confidence about sending it a lot farther offshore to start my runs. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So that's, that's really cool. Um, why I like downwinding more than I like winging is because um, I like the strategy of it. Like I'm really enjoying like seeing. So I, I hate like you're a cardio guy. Like you're a phenom in endurance sports, and yeah. I've always been a sprinter. And I I do not like going out. I, you're never going to find me go out and run three miles. I've never done that once in my life. I did cross country when I was in high school for one day. And I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> I was on the swim team and just swam the 50 and the hundred. Yeah. And the downwinding to me is a, is a cool game to where like I did a two mile run the other day and my heart rate was like d- topped out at 140 which is like really good for me when, you know, a shore runner I'm, I'm hitting 175 like the entire time pretty much yeah. because you're working so much more. And so what that's let me see is that this is just going to give me a ton of time on foil. And I like that it, it turns more into strategy than just brute endurance, which is not my strength. And so I think that lends into it too. The wing is the same way, but the, the wing is, um, I don't know. I'm a surfer at heart. Right. And so I still get those great surf moments on the downwind runs. Yes. But when I'm doing turns with the wing, it just always feels like the wing is there. Um, I'm not very good yet, but I I don't know, maybe that goes away. But for me so far, I'm comfortable with a paddle in my hands and, and, 
like those sections and yeah. speed runs and all that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's a good sort of, I guess, breakdown of it all. And I, I want to touch on something that you spoke before, like just um, in that um, winging like a lot of the time here. Um, if it's windy enough for people to wing, I'll mm-hmm. be downwinding already. So the only um, reason I would wing over downwind most of the time is if um, on our coast, we get swells from every direction, northeast to southwest, basically. And right. if the wind is south and the swell is north, while it's very downwindable, the winging conditions are pretty epic because you get certain gotcha. reefs light up and it's like it's like towing yeah, like proper epic waves. Um, so, and that's when I've got to make a decision. And normally I choose downwind, but sometimes I'm out there and I see crew winging and these epic like sort of four to six foot offshore waves and I'm like, damn it <laughs> it's not yeah. that good downwind today <laughs> it's sort of a cardio session um and it feels like training and those are the days i'm like damn i wish i wish i was um winging but um i think you will get to a point and this is for those listening as well um you personally i can get up much earlier um with my paddle than i can with my wing um, oh i can too already yeah yeah already yeah sure. good yeah so and, and is, are you using the same i guess the reason that normally is for me is because with the paddle, I'm probably using a bigger foil, but mm-hmm. the other thing is the power I can generate with a paddle is way less reliant on wind. And it's like more about if there's little swells or little short period bumps, like I can yep. paddle up. It's like paddle up easy. Whereas with a wing, you're like a hundred percent relying on wind. <laughs> so if you, if you pump your wing and you've got no energy in the wing, it's like, man, this is so annoying. That's like, that's like the three F bomb rule. Like I've had so many <laughs> sessions on the wing. I'm just like, just like, should I throw this thing away? I'm like, man, why don't I use such a small foil? Why don't I use such a, why don't I go winging today? I should have been downwinding. Rah, rah, rah. And that's like so many times I've had that. And I think <laughs> I've never yeah. been more frustrated winging than anything else. <laughs> um, but me I'm too. sure. Yeah. Hey, good. So it's not just me. Yeah. No, it's everybody, man. Yeah. It's, it's bad. Winging yeah. is like the worst, especially cause I wasn't in any way, shape or form a, a wind sport guy before winging. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was, it was crazy. It's, it's the full on love, hate, like wind sports and in particular, like downwind. I kind of, I don't necessarily call it a wind sport. I call it like a halfway between like surfing and wind sport. Whereas like winging, kiting, sailing, windsurfing, all that sort of stuff. That's like, that's reliant on wind. If it gets below, you know, if it gets to five knots, you're cursing yourself. Right. Whereas with a paddle, <laughs> five knots, you're like, you can get up and the bumps are still running. So that's yep. that's why I really like the downwind stuff. And I've had far less F-bomb moments downwinding mm-hmm. than I have winging. <laughs> winging is like, I, Once I have gotten the, the 1440 and kind of figured out like what to look for to chip. And that, that was probably of my learning curve, the foil helped a lot. And then like figuring out what energy to paddle for, I was paddling late, like at the beginning, I I was like approaching it, like I was going to catch a surf wave. And and I've realized that that's not what you do. And and now I kind of have a way to do it. And it it seems to really work. Um, and since I learned that I haven't had any knock on wood, I haven't had any shocker sessions, Mm -hmm. uh, on the downwind I've gotten up every, you know, every time I, I go, it doesn't like even like tiny little bumps. And I've also been practicing a whole lot. Um, and watching like you watching, um, rigs, like just flat water starts. Yeah. That's- and so 
and let me ask you a question here real quick. So it seems to me like it is much easier to flat water start when it is perfectly flat than when there's just a little tiny bit of swell or bump. Is that true? Fully true. And like to me, the the perfect, like for those learning, wanting to learn to flat water start, it's, I kind of describe it as a party trick, but it's going to help you downwind. So like, Uh don't feel like you need to actually get up in the flat to be out of downwind. It's not necessary, but in terms of doing the flat water start, the perfect conditions for flat water starts are like a lake, like flat, flat water with a really strong breeze coming off the shore. So Mm -hmm. um, offshore breeze going obviously away from the coast, that direction Mm -hmm. is like the glassy. As soon as there's any little bump, timing comes into it. And that little bit of bump, and I'm going to show you a little image now. And like this is what I'm, this is from my course. Um, Basically, it's a three-step guide to timing when you're paddling into bumps. And you want to start at the top of the bump. You can sort of see this is our bump here. It's exaggerated. You're yep. starting at the top when your nose is up and then just sort of two long strokes. You're not sprinting it, but you're building momentum. And then the middle, you're at the, when you're at the bottom of the trough, you start to really increase your strokes, you're increasing speed, you're increasing acceleration. And then when we start to get that tail lift, then we're trying to achieve liftoff. We're pumping, we're continuing to paddle, and basically the downhill is going to allow us to get that space between the nose and the water. So... For flat water, what will happen is you'll, like, if a tiny little bump comes, there's nothing to do with the wind or you, you're, you haven't factored in a little bit of bump, you'll end up, when you're trying to get up, nose high. And that's mm-hmm. like like paddling uphill is so hard. It's really hard to get that gap between the nose and the water where, you know, if you're running into something, whereas if you're running down something, the gap between the nose and the water is really easy to, to generate. So, yeah, you know like, what? One of the things that um, I have, I've got a little weird feedback. Are you catching that at all? Does it sound uh, weird? I've got it all right. Okay, cool. Um, so I try to think about catching the trough before the bump I want. Like that's what's in my mind. Mm-hmm. I see usually it's like a two wave, two, two mm-hmm. bump set. I'm, I'm like you said, I'm building momentum. I'm like generally already stroking just a little bit. I'm usually up paddling in the direction that I want to go. Just real, just basically like almost at like a 30 degree or 45 degree angle. So I can have like a lot of visibility on what's coming. Mm-hmm. And then when I see something that looks enticing, I, I turn straight downwind. And sometimes it's not directly downwind with our coast. Sometimes it's like almost on an angle where I'm trying to catch on the smallest days, I've found that what works the best is to catch the wedge between the swell and a chop. Yeah. So I'm like pointing in the direction of, of that wedge instead of with the, the, the bump or with the swell. Yeah. And those days are hard though, because it seems like as soon as I start popping up, I immediately, I never can stay on that bump. It seems like it's usually pretty small. I'm pumping and I have to connect to like the next, usually there's a wedge to the side of it. And I kind of like, those are pretty hard cardio starts too. Cause sometimes that can be a pretty long run and yeah. yeah. But, yeah. um, that, that's, what's been working for me. It's, it's cool that it sounds like that's what you're like yeah. doing. As well. No, exactly. It, it's all about, and like, I, I kind of, what you're talking about, like sort of, so you know, the paddle sort of 30 degrees or I sort of, yeah, probably the same. Like you're sort of going across the wind and sort of just just using the peripheries to sort of see something coming. And while you don't right. want to, like, if it's a big set coming, you want to avoid that because um, those sets are just moving too fast. So we want to really try to look at, and basically they're too drawn out. It's like the shore runner thing. There's an energy and then there's a nothing and then there's another bit of energy. And, and basically that energy is moving too fast. So you can't tap into that 
just via yep. paddling. Once you're up on foil, you can tap into that, but you've got to, you know, walk before you can run, get going first. So I'm yeah. always looking for the shortest, steepest bumps. So like basically the closer the peaks are together to a point and like the deeper that trough is, that the better it is to chip in. And even just yesterday I went out and the wind was like kind of like where I was launching was sort of cross offshore and the swell was east. So it was a southwest wind with an east swell. And right. it's kind of for us, it's the hard or for me, it's the hardest conditions. And I was practicing on these sort of smaller foils, um, kind of eight, nine, nine size and paddling up. I struggled and like probably the hardest I've struggled for a while just because those conditions, basically the wind right. had almost zero fetch, like literally 300 meters fetch. And the swell was pretty solid and sort of, you know, four to six foot sets coming through and rolling sort of straight across it. So for me to get going, I just had to sort of paddle further out to sea so that the south, so the southwest wind chops had grown. And then once right. that was the case, then I could sort of use a little bit of the swell as it came under me and then peel off into the wind chop to get going. So wow. it was a, yeah, so it's like using, you've got to use it, use, forget the angle that you want to go to, mm -hmm. to start with. Sometimes you, if the swell's small enough, you can kind of take off straight into shore and, and, and the wind's going, let's say it's an east swell and you want to go south, then yep. you can take off east but end up going south once you're up on foil. So don't be locked into, so I was chatting to um, Josh Koo. I was talking about he did an ocean run and really struggled and he was saying, you know, I just couldn't feel like I, the swell was moving one way and the wind was going the other way. And I was just trying to use the wind chop because that's what I've, you know, that's what I'm, I say. I just try to use the wind chop most of the time. But you can still tap into that swell energy when it comes through and sort of under you, right. run with it and see how long you can run with it and get the speed from it and then peel off and try to tap back into the wind to keep you moving that sort of direction. So it's, it's, it's such a hard thing to explain because all our conditions are so different and like even the conditions I have today versus yesterday versus a week ago are right. also so different. Like that's, look, that's kind of the beauty of downwind too. Every run is a hundred percent different. You know, there's pretty rare that's like, Oh, it was just like yesterday. It's like, eh, yeah. <laughs> it'll never be like it was, or, you know, it's really hard. You get similar days, but um, the, the, the takeoff is definitely the hardest bit. And one of the things I want to touch on was, so you're saying you was in the Kajira 1440, which it's a big foil, but it's not, yeah. it's, it's not that big. Like there's much bigger ones. Um, the guys I'm coaching are using foils that are more like 1800 square centimeters. And the 1440 is the square centimeters, right? That's the, yeah. yeah. So and if you're learning, get your hands on the biggest foil you possibly can because two things, one, it's going to be easy to get going and there's nothing worse than doing a run and never getting up. So by using the biggest possible foil, you're one, you're guaranteed to get going, get up and foil. The other advantage of the big foil is you can practice your technique in the flat and have a pretty good shot at getting up in flat, which gives yeah. you a really good shot at getting up in the bumps too. Um, the third reason the big foils are good is if you live where there's a few bays or lakes and the wind gets pretty strong, bay runs are the perfect way to dial your technique for downwind. Because like I was saying before, when you have swell and wind a different direction, really hard to get going. When you're in a bay, there's no swell generally. Yeah. If it's a lake, there's no swell. It's all dependent on the wind. So if it's 30 to 40 knots across the lake and you go from one end of the lake to the other end of the lake, the only direction you can go and the only direction the swell will be going is the direction the wind's blowing. So it's like 
you're going to have, and it, it makes it super clean. It's like, I describe it as like sort of green runs, like it's a groomer, right. you know, so <laughs> it's a full on groomer. You can just, and it, they're super fun, but they're only fun if you're using the right size foil. So matching your foil to the speed of the swells is so important. So yeah. I've done um, a run, a normal ocean run here. It's um, long reef to Palm Beach and it's about 18 Ks. And I did that and I had an epic run. It was like 30 to 40 knots, south swell, south wind, epic. And then I finished at Palm Beach and I saw a few mates who were going for a bay run in Pittwater. <clears throat> and it was, again, 30 to 40 knots, epic bay run conditions as well. But I used the same equipment because I just finished my downwind run and jumped in the car and went up with them, did the bay run. And I, I literally got up and then I pumped the entire way <laughs> down. And, like, so it was, like, you talk about cardio, this is, like, eight kilometres, so it's, like, four or five miles of just paddling and pumping. And I'm, like, oh, I'm like, there's nothing worse, guys. Why would I do that? I just had, like, the best ever run in the ocean. Then I come to the bay and I'm, like, that sucks. And I knew right, like, right away then I'm, like, okay, <laughs> if I'm yeah. going to do an ocean run, small foils are great. If I'm going to do a bay run, forget about speed. Just go for the biggest foil you can still turn. And it's going to be epic. And, and since then, like uh, for the go for stuff, I was using like the GL 210 or the NL 220, and that was epic. And now with the Axis stuff, the 1150 is sort of massive and super fun, like easy to get going, glides well. You can turn it pretty well. Is that an 1150 CM? No, that's span. Um, let me get the. That's... Oh, it's okay. Um, and then so, the so HBS that's... 1050 was the other one I was using. And, and that's seriously epic to, to downwind and seriously surfy um the projected area of the 17 of the 1150 is uh 1700 square centimeters so that's that's what i'd recommend for those learning that's the kind of ballpark area that i'd be aiming for so my goal right now is to drop foil size um pretty quickly so we had a run the other day it was my only real prone downwinder i would say and I, it, it was after probably a couple weeks of really diving into downwind. And we got just the perfect day. It was um, 35 miles an hour south, southwest, which for us is just like 10, 15 degrees offshore. Mm-hmm. So like nuking, like yeah. good bumps had already formed and blowing you back out. So perfect runner conditions, but I wanted to see what it was like to do like a legit downwinder. So I took out the 1440 because I wanted to be pretty far offshore and I run, I don't know, probably about 500 meters offshore is kind of like where like our ocean seems to pat like inside of that, the energy starts to dissipate and kind of bend more towards the beach and mm-hmm. offshore that it's like pretty, it uh, pretty pr- pushes down the line, uh, down, down the ocean um down down the beach uh, i apologize i got like three hours of sleep last night so kind of as and then i said it twice today so i'm kind of a softy right now <laughs> you're doing well uh, <laughs> um so so it, it was solid you know seven feet seven seconds so the chips were hard on i rode the 1440 chips were hard it was like kind of i wouldn't say barreling but top to bottom you know yeah, yeah, yeah that's and, it's interesting that you say like 10 to 15 degrees offshore is like good downwind conditions for you because for us when it's that little bit offshore like people would prefer a little bit onshore here um but right. i guess when this when the swell is bigger and, and the swell's pushing you in personally I, I like the little bit offshore because you can take the swells like straight into shore and then you can easily glide back out 
Um, yeah. But what I find the disadvantage of those little bit offshore days is that the wind bumps are just smaller, if especially if you're too close in. And because here we have lots of head like points, I guess, or headlands, um, yeah. that the fetch is like ruined every time you pass a headland. So that's why we want sort of cross shore or like a little bit cross on is usually like the best um, because the, the the wind bumps are better. Whereas offshore, the, uh, the there's no wind bumps unless you go a long way out to sea and you're relying more on the swell, which if you're using a big foil, it's harder to stick with the swells. So, so for us, those days usually rotate from southeast to south to south southwest. Mm-hmm. So we had like uh, rib yeah. high bumps, probably Already. like five feet at five seconds, three seconds, or something like that, yeah. coming basically straight from the south. So it was amazing. Yeah. And what's crazy was that it was ridiculously easy to get really far offshore because with the wind and with those bumps and just going right Mm. twice, I like looked back, I was like, Oh my God, I'm like prone (laughs) and I am way out in the middle of the like sketch. Right. Focus, focus, focus. (laughs) Getting more comfortable with that. But what was scary was that the seven foot at seven second, once I got farther out, like out back, like offshore, the 1440 didn't want to catch them. Yeah, it, I, I, it was really hard to get on those. And so what I had to do was find, you know, like when you see the seam running into like the bowl on the swell, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to start pumping on the seam, building speed, and then like legit yeah. do a turn to catch the swell yeah. and then yeah. like pump with it. Cause it was coming into a little bit of offshore too. Yeah, And it was, it was like somewhat challenging to get back in. You could have gone as far as you wanted out to sea, but, but like, you know, every, I don't know. <laughs> 45 seconds minute, I had to figure out a way to like work my way back in again. Yeah. But that was the best, the best um day I've seen here. And I did like a couple chips. I had to make the paddle a couple times. I blew it on a couple of those moments trying to catch the swell and stalled out kind of on the back of them. Which this happens a lot. Stuff. That that's that's kind of common. And and I, I still it? find that. Yeah. So it's kind of thick because the swells are moving so quick, usually quicker than the, you know, the bump, the wind bumps. You gotta right. almost think about turning earlier than you think and like chase the chase the uphill because the downhill is going to catch you really quick (laughs) um but i did i did like eight miles that day which was awesome in like i don't know three or four chips yeah Uh, it was a brilliant day it was so fun so are you Uh, using the 1440 like exclusively for downwind that's your one foil you're using i decided to commit to that until i felt really comfortable with, I was trying to take away variables, yeah. right? So I committed to the 1440 and that is over now. Yeah. So the next day it's good. And this is what I was going to ask you here is how would you approach working down? I mean, the 1095 is, Very that is smaller. the most efficient foil that I, I ride. I love it. I, you know, that's what I want to get to. Should I just start there? Like, do you think I'll be popping up on that without too much problem or should I go to the 1210 first? Um, Okay, so first of all, great work. You started, like, you basically completed a run on the 1440, more or less, and, like, you're like, yep, I'm sweet, I can shift down. That's exactly the advice I'd say to people. Everyone wants to shift down all the time. And for those people in bay runs, I'd say, unless it's super windy, you're going to find a foil that's going to work for the bay run and sort of stick with that one. Move down, Mm -hmm. but very slowly. For ocean runs, it's a fair bit different because, like, you experienced, was it today or yesterday, um, the swells, like if you can't tap into the swell energy, it can actually make it harder on a bigger foil in some instance, some instances, and especially if it's a little bit offshore, there's less mm-hmm. of that wind bump. So it's like you kind of get stuck. And um, this is a story I tell my, my clients as well. Um, 
you always want to start, like if it's just wind chop, definitely start with the bigger foil and slowly edge your way down. On some instances when the swell's really big, I did a run from Manly to Palm Beach years ago and um, I might have told you the story already, but I started on the Maliko 200 because I'm like, oh, I just want to make sure I can get up and get going because the swell's big. I don't want to come down and be in trouble. It was really hard on the Maliko 200 because the swells were moving so fast and like I spoke about the shore runners, there was once one peak here, one peak here, and in between this massive trough and in between the trough, the, 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 the swells were so big it was glassy. It was offshore in between them. So there was no wind chop at all. So while I could get up on the Maliko 200, I, once I was up, I was hanging onto the swells for as long as I could and then having to pump, pump, pump and try to, like, as you said, sort of build up speed and get back onto the swells and it was really hard. So I actually came in halfway at my place where I, like halfway along the run is where I live and so I came in, I swapped foils to the Eva, paddled back out and continued the run and had a much better time. So that yeah. to me was the first time, okay, a smaller foil can be better yeah. in some, instances, in, in some you know, circumstances, but it's generally when the swell is pretty big well, and the wind's I, a little bit offshore. So I, you obviously have way more experience than I do in this, but what I'm feeling is that I know the efficiency of like the 1095. I spend so much time on it, shore running it all the time. I know like the speed and the glide that I get out of it. And I know that like on a day like today, I don't know if I could have chipped the 1095. I doubt that I could have. But once I was up, I could have been just bouncing all over the place, barely pumping because I know how to keep speed on it, right? Like, mm. like it's one of the things that we do, I call it like Florida ping pong, like on the inside, like we have a break on a sandbar and then there's a trough. And I love the days that it's like two feet, but kind of wind choppy because the bumps on the inside are like a foot. And the yeah. game I yeah. play is just see if I can get through the whole thing just on turns, no pumps. And, you know, cause you, as long as you keep your speed up, just like, you know, I look at it like little power-ups, like little wedges, you place your turns, right. And then, you know, you never have to pump if you do it right. And it's hard to navigate, but I, I look at downwinding very similarly, so but the 1440 is too slow to play that game. So I have to pump. I can't, I can't, um, I, I can't like just bounce from chop to chop because it's just, it's losing speed through turns where the 1095 or a lift 120 is going to be gaining speed the whole time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, actually interesting. You said, and I think that might be the ocean effect as in the swells are faster. And I guess it, and it, it muddies your vision, I guess, when you, when there's like big bumps and like smaller um, wind chops. And the, the advice I always give is the bumps you can't see, especially on the big foils, are going to be the best. So the bumps you can see, you're actually going to have to, on the big foils, you have to pump to stay with them. Whereas if you can tune in to the smaller bumps that you can only feel, they will actually build and turn into those big bumps. So instead of pumping you're actually you'll get onto this one and you'll sort of your speed will build as it builds yeah. yeah so but as when there's swell it's it makes it all harder which is why i always say um like i describe bay runs as your green runs groomers and then the ocean runs when there's a bit of swell in the water especially when it swells a different direction is like your, your black diamond runs because yeah you, 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 it's like there's moguls everywhere whereas um so it's just like harder to read sometimes when we go down like in the mountain it's harder to read when there's bumps everywhere and it's no, um, you know, moguls might even be cleaner than the ocean, you know, when there's swell and wind, you know. Yeah. So um, while so that's what, like, it's hard to say. And, like, I always say, like, I always say you're going to have more fun on a bigger foil when you're starting out. 
when you get to a point where you're making a full run on that, say like you're just making a full run on the 1440 and you, then you can think about trading down a size. And back to your question, like what should you do? Okay. I'd just go, if you have a 1210, yeah. like I'd just go use a 1210 first and just make sure that it's all working and, and just do one or two runs and just make sure that, yep, I can get up on that. Yep. Then go to the 1095 because if you just jump straight to the 1095 and have a horrible experience, then it's just going to make it like, you know, right. uh, it's it's one more horrible experience that you need to have. Whereas if you went to the 1210, figured it out, found the differences from the 1440 to the 1210, okay, this is what's different. Got to feel that. Yep, sweet. I can now, I can do a full run on the 1210. Great. Then go to the 1095. The, it's like they're stepping stones. And if you've got access to all, and this is always the thing, people are like, oh, more gear. And it's like I'm always, <laughs> I'm always trying to get people to to make the gear they have work. But there are just some instances where it's like, look, you got a Maliko 280, <laughs> that 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 foil works. You can get up and going, but it's it's got a cap on it. It 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 goes pretty slow. Um, so if you're looking to go on the ocean, yeah, try to you know if you can stay up the whole run on the Maliko 280, great. If you um if you can paddle up the you know the, the size down going to be way better so it's um stepping stones is my advice but if you've only got you know say you've only got a 1440 and a 1095 and that is your stepping stone you don't have access to the 1210 so you just drop down to it and it might be a little bit harder it, it might be seamless and it's like i, I always err on the side of caution and giving advice because i don't want people to have a really shit time <laughs> yeah. yeah i think the benefit here is that it's all beach and it's pretty close you know, we don't have to deal with a lot of what you guys have yeah, to deal you know, with. You're we don't get stuffed out big. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think that that would happen. I just want to make sure that um, I got to pick the right day and 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 just commit to going. To, the 1095 is where I want to be, just because I know oh, how efficient that foil is, and and yeah. I know that once I'm up on it, I mean, I just love surfing it too. So yeah. that's going to be so fun to to dial in that. The other thing I want to touch on, I guess, people sort of talk about like, okay, I, like I can link multiple waves on, say, the 1095. I can, I can link them really well. Um, for me, um, using the Axis ART stuff, um, say the 899, I love surfing it, but I can't, like, I can link for a long time. But if there's no wind, obviously that's easy. If it's a little bit of headwind or crosswind, it's a little bit harder, same as obviously always. But like the stall speed, on those, like say the 799, I can link as well when there's energy. But what I'm trying to say is you're going faster when the wind's at your back, you know? Right. So like when I'm in the surf using the 799 and I'm pumping around, sometimes I'll stall out because I run out of speed. If I downwind the 799, I'm not stalling out ever. Like I will keep my speed up the entire time. And while okay. it's most of the time the 799 is a little bit too fast, except, except when the stall's really big, then it's... <laughs> Crazy fast, really good good foil to use downwind. Um, I never feel like stalling out on the 799 when I'm downwinding, whereas when I'm in the surf, I will feel that stalling, close to stalling thing happening far more often. So I'm okay. suggesting to some people who are progressing, like um, you can probably use a smaller foil than you think, but I always recommend stepping stones. And, and for me, like the 799 for, as an example, I've downwinded it a couple of times and most of the time if I'm using the 799, I wish I was on the 899 because the speed that I can hold in between the bumps is much better and more efficient. And also when I'm on the bumps, 
the 799, like I have to moderate my speed so much more because it wants to overtake, overtake and overtake. Whereas right. on the 899, it's like, or the 999, it, it settles on that bump and it's like you're matching the speed of that swell on the bump and the wind and all that stuff much better. So they're the two things that we're always fighting. So a big foil, you always feel like you want to go faster, but it teaches you to stay with the bump that you're on and sort of turning side to side or just cutting one way across the wind, turning back, cutting the other way across the wind and you stay on the one bump. As you progress right. to faster foils, you'll feel the opposite problem. You're going too fast and like to just prevent yourself from stalling. Sometimes you've got to pump and paddle and continue your sort of trajectory faster than the bumps are running. And that's way worse yeah. than being overfoiled. Being underfoiled and having a pump is sucky. You've just done this car shuttle. You've, you know, you've, it's, you've made it. So it's going to be epic. And you go out there and your foil is moving too fast. And that mm. is the worst possible experience because you're literally pumping the whole way down the coast. And then you have to drive back or run back or whatever it is. And it's, there's no fun time in that. <laughs> um, I think that's what I've always felt because I always ride small foils for our runners. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. the 1095 is like the biggest foil that I would probably ride for. Um, yeah. Like Lift 120 is another one I ride a lot. And so mm-hmm. that feeling of kind of navigating and, and playing that game is, is kind of my comfort zone. Yeah. And right now, like the feeling of the 1440 where... I get stuck on the top and I have to pump to get, to get on the bump. Like that's a weird feeling. Yeah. So what right. I recommend for that is like, instead of trying to pump and matching the lines you're taking on the 1095 or the 120 is actually peel off back into the wind. Like yep. instead of trying to go up and over the bump, like literally peel back and then like sort of set up the one behind and then maybe that's going to run too fast, peel back again and set up behind. And yeah, it sounds like you've, you're doing that, yeah. but it's, it's just like you acknowledge it's a different um, it's going to change what you're looking at. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's so cool. And like, you can make a run completely different. Like if I'm using the 899 and then I go out and use the 1099, um, most of the time I actually have more fun on the 1099 because I can just stand there and sort of longboard sort of glide. Whereas on the 899 or 999, I'm kind of like, if it's a little bit under, it's like you're hunting, you're like, Oh, what that one over there? And you go, Phew. And you go all the way there. It's like, oh, I disappeared. I'm going to go back this way. <laughs> and you're always sort of hunting and you're like in between it. It's like um, if you're prone foiling in the surf and you're chasing sets out the back and when you get to them, they disappear. <laughs> it's, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of the analogy. Whereas if you're on like a nice slow foil, you just enjoy the one you're on. Oh, there's one at the back. I was going to glide out there, pick that one up. Yeah, now we're going again. So it's, you know, there's there's different ways to downwind, different ways to, to prone foil and they're all good, which is cool. You know, it's been really cool about this journey um, through, I guess, winging and, and then now in downwind is, and I talk about this like as something like called skill mapping, which is doing things that are similar to what you do, but a little bit different. I would still consider myself like a prone foiler. I mean, maybe that changes over the next year or so, but I mean, that's still like, if it's on, that's what I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but it's funny because when that's on, downwind's not on. When downwind's on, that's not on. That's the beauty but, of it. Yeah, it's the beauty of it. But it's crazy what spending so much time on foil and having to become efficient has done to my stance, my pump. Like I am much more solid on foil right now. I don't think that I'm that much better at surfing than I was a few months ago, but I'm much better at all the little pieces in between because of just all that amount of time on foil and, and foot movement too. Like going back to the sup, there's something beautiful about it. Like I forgot 
like when I, uh, so my, my trajectory in surfing was I was just a short border until I found stand up surfing. And cause I hurt myself and had to do it for rehab. Then I liked it. And like, I never moved my foot, my feet when I, when I surf shortboard, really, you know, like I rode really small boards. They were pretty much planted from the moment I stood up till the moment I did some huge throwaway air. And, um, then I got on a stand up and I, I learned all of this like nuance of foot movement. And then when I would shortboard, all of a sudden I was much better because of just the foot movement. Mm. And it's been kind of fun getting back on standup just because I spent so much time on standup. I have just all this like weird knowledge about paddling and stability. And it's really fun. Like I, I really enjoy just being on a standup again, but I'm also enjoying like all of the foot movement that's happening and how comfortable I have always moved my feet on foils to some degree, but now it's, I'm moving my feet like five times as much as I did before. I mean, in, in, in prone lines now, I'll move my feet in between every turn, bottom turn, top turn. And just cause you know where those sweet spots are. And I really think that stand up and being on a big board, that's so stable that you, it's like a cheat code to move your feet. It, it, it it's like difficulty one of moving your feet around because the board has so much inertia, just gives you time. And so that's been really cool. And then pumping big boards as well, you know, there's so much more swing weight that each pump has to be kind of perfect. And I've found that it's just streamlined everything. And I actually really enjoy pumping that just huge kilometer now and can do pretty decent, just regular pump runs on it. Where at the beginning, the first time I paddled, I was like, I am never going to want to pump this thing. Uh, and, and now it's kind of fun, you know? Yeah. And the beauty of it, it becomes subconscious. If you ride this up yeah. enough and you're moving your feet, you then go back to your prone and like you're moving your feet on the sup, you just do it. Like I don't right. think like when I change to surf a wave to then pull off the back of the wave and pump out that like you look back at videos and like, Oh, I'm moving my feet a lot there. Like it's, I yeah. don't even realize I was. And it's like, especially when I'm coaching, I've actually got to break down my own video to sort of give feedback to others. It's like, if I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> it's just become ingrained in me now, but like, what is yeah. it I'm doing? Let's have a look at it. And then you can sort of give that advice and it's, um, yeah, so there's many benefits, I guess. And the other thing, I guess, for pumping the sup, which I think is probably, you know, maybe forgotten a bit too, is you have the paddle. So if you can take a paddle stroke, like you, you will never get as much energy from one paddle stroke than you can ever get from just pumping with your arms on a prone, you know? So literally planting and propelling yourself past the paddle yeah. is like someone giving you a push on a prone board. You know, it's like you're creating that energy forward again. So when you're, close to stalling out you take one or two paddle strokes and you're back up to speed again versus prone it's like where's the bump where's the wave i need something other than my own momentum here so um when you're, when you're close to stall speed that's why I, I mean i started my foil journey on a stand-up and i got off the stand-up once i realized that i was pumping faster than i could paddle so i was just carrying around the paddle most of the time yeah. i was like this is kind of dumb um and so but yeah, one close to stall speed, it's such a cheat code. It's oh. ridiculous. And, I just that's, um, that's why for downwind, I think I, I was chatting to Jeremy and how he puts the and Dave that I put their paddle on their back. And I'm like, yeah, that's great, but don't be telling everyone to do that when they're learning. <laughs> because if you learn <laughs> and you put your paddle on the back, then you're like, oh, I'm close to stalling, you're just gonna stall out. Whereas yeah. like if you recognize that you're about to stall and like make a the, the reason they put it on their back is so that they don't use their paddle too much. Right. But they're also doing Maliko runs and Kihei runs where it's like a skate park the whole time and conditions are really good. <laughs> so yeah. I understand why they do it. They're probably not stalling out very often. But um, for those that are learning the whole paddle on the back thing, look, it's great. 
and it's a cool thing to get the paddle out of, your, out of your hands and have the hands free and make it feel more um, like prone falling, I guess. And you, when you come down, you can always paddle back up. But having the paddle in one hand and just sort of holding it there and having the other hand free, you've still got a fair bit of freedom. And when you do almost stall out, you can take that one stroke to prevent the stall. So, you know, each do their own. But that's that's what I do. I keep it in one hand. I mean, when I sup foil, I use the paddle for swing weight. You know, like I, I mean, that's how I started sup foiling. And so I kind of like it for turns oh. where, you know, you can swing it out and it kind of sets your turn in a little bit harder and, or you can brace on it, just all this old sup surf tricks too. So yeah, you know, for sure. I, I, I don't know. Do you, um, TJ just sent me thank you, TJ from big wins. Um, it's coming on Friday, the Ono Ava paddle, which has a different yeah. degree head. Mm-hmm. Have you tried that yet? Is that I a cheap... There's not many quick blades over here in Australia. I think there's only one okay. shop up in Queensland, but I was chatting to Jeremy about it. And yeah, so if, I guess if our paddle is you know straight up and down um, the shaft and then think about the head of the shaft being either straight down, that'd be zero degrees. And then like most paddles are somewhere between like five and 10 degrees, yep. uh, I, I think. And then I know the owner Ava is more like 15 degrees. So like the angle is... And like it's huge. Huge, which... I was chatting to Jerry about it and like looking at his footage and sort of discussing it with the the, the guys I coach. Um, it means two things. One, when we do our catch, it's going to create that little bit more lift. So because you have that positive angle, and then as you follow through, you've got a longer power phase in your stroke, um, which means basically you're just getting more 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 bang for your buck every stroke. Yeah. The reason, I guess, there must be a reason that most paddles aren't 15 degrees because otherwise all sort of sub paddles you think would already be doing that. But I think there is a point where it goes too far um, because it must be not as efficient. Um, but for sub foiling, most of our strokes are just sprinting strokes. So we're probably not reaching out that far. So the 15 degrees is like I said, it's kind of maybe it seems to be a cheat code. The other you, thing. You only need like three strokes if you're, if you're in the right spot. You know, so like if you, they're more powerful, that's... The, um The other thing to think about for the Onaeva is the blade is freaking massive, like two times my head. You know, it's... it's a, yeah. So like m- the paddle I'm using is oh, 82 square centimeters. Just pulled out my mic. We're good. Or my, uh, my headphones are back. Yeah. The, the, the paddle I'm using is about 82 square centimeters, whereas the Onaeva, I think, is like 115 or something. Like what it's I, 105 or 115, and I, he's sending me a 115. So um, that's huge. I used to paddle like a 72, like for for sub surfing, like yeah. the smallest little tiny quick blade. I like because I mean, if you think about it though, they used to they used to tear up my shoulders because you're putting so much torque on it. It's so different, you know, just foiling with the, the paddle. That's what I was going to say is warm those shoulders up because the 115 is going to be yeah. The, the, yeah. The beauty of it is we're only taking, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20 strokes probably for the entire run. <laughs> so right. if you've got 10 or 20 strokes and you're great, but, you know, when we sub surf or even like start paddling, like racing sort of style, you're taking hundreds of thousands of strokes. So yeah. that's why I guess the blades are smaller for, for sub surf and sub racing. And um, why we, that's the theory, I guess, behind getting away with a bigger blade. Um, my sponsor vmg blades I'm, I'm chatting to him trying to make me a bigger one because my 82 like while it feels great i think for flat water starts like jeremy's doing um mm. a bigger blade just means extra power extra power means extra speed extra speeds means you're getting up earlier so it's as simple as that um talk to me about 
your boards like hmm. is eric foils riding eric in uh texas has one now right yeah he actually he was he had a production one and i guess what we've been working on a fair bit and the release date is may june so we've basically what we've done is the aviator is our like sup foil and mm-hmm. when we first came up with it two years ago now the downwind scene wasn't that big a thing and I was pushing to make the dimensions longer and skinnier. And they're like, uh-huh. ah, I'm not going to sell any of them. Let's make them a little bit wider and shorter so you guys can use them in the surf. In the last two years, sup foiling, I wouldn't say it's declined, but it certainly hasn't taken off. The downwind foiling seems to be on the uphill, starting to ramp up. Um, so basically what we're doing now is we're coming up with a downwind-specific version of the Aviator. And it's going to be longer. It's going to be skinnier. And like the Barracuda, long and skinny is just more efficient to get going, more speed. Um, I was just chatting to the <laughs> good, good question. I was just talking to a bunch of um, um, guys in my club about board design and it's pretty interesting. And, and I want to talk about like the 52 Foil Co board, which is I think it's like down in a five-foot range. It's 24 to 25 kind of wide. So it's like shorter and wider. Mm-hmm. Other end of the spectrum is the... Kalama Barracuda, which is, I, I, I'm not sure if this is the actual dimensions, but I saw TJ posted seven, eight by 18 and a half. And maybe it's another um, curveball, but because what Dave said, it was five by 30 in his post. <laughs> he told me five by 30. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, we know it's long and skinny. Right. And so, I guess the aviator that we've been working on, the downward aviator, is I'm using a 6.1 by 22 and a half. The next size up is 6.4 by 24. And then the next one is 6.7 by 25. And then there's a 6.10 by 26. And we might be making, I'm 82 kilos, which is like 180 pounds, 85 pounds maybe. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, the the literage for mine is 90, oh no, sorry, 85 liters. So it's, just positive, just positive volume. Yeah. And that's, so that's something that I guess I know I, I can ride a, my old board was 79 liters and my sup surfs are 77 liters. So I'm on negative volume and I can mm-hmm. paddle around. That's like, obviously I'm not your regular sup paddler. I'm right. like sort of sinking a little bit. And that's because when I compete, I need to be on a smaller board to, I guess, attack the wave more for foiling. We sort of just use that number like, oh, I know I can paddle around on that. And with the foil, it adds that little bit extra stability. I can get away with it. I think for flat water starts, more volume helps. I think for even bumpy, like foil starts, extra volume helps. But if you can get away with a small board, it's going to be nicer once you're up and running. It just means it's lighter. It means it's a little bit less thick. And that's, I guess, that's what we've gone with. And it's working for Marcus who's designing them and I. And um, the other thing I guess to talk about is the bottom shapes. If you look at the climbers, I th- from what I've seen, they're pretty much a flat bottom with a big old chine coming into a pintail. The 52 Foil Co., the KT foil boards that Jeffrey and Finn are using and the aviators, they seem to all have like, it's a double concave with like a V through the middle. And that, um, I think paddles, it's sort of the best of both worlds to me because it paddles really well. Um, and you can get away with it being a little bit less volume for the stability kind of factor. So gotcha. it's, um, 
one of the guys that double concave is bad on touchdowns. Every board that I've had on double concave, it just kind of sucks when you, I don't mean it like they suck, but I mean like yeah, they suck. They suck up. Yeah. No. And I've gone to more like very light V and chined and I like skipping when yeah. I'm, I'm and, hitting. And I think it's, I guess I, I talk about it as a double concave, but it's really, it's a double concave with a V. So it's like a b- big old V through the middle. And then it, right. then it goes like a little sort of double concave through to the chine. So it's, gotcha. The V is bigger than the double concave, I guess. So it, okay. it's, it feels like to me that it skips. And I know exactly what you're talking about with the suction because um, we had a few prototype boards that felt more like that. <laughs> and also just from yeah. sup, sup racing, like um, paddling, like flat water boards, there was a big sort of shift towards like a massive concave in them and then you could go narrower. Um, so basically the concave adds stability. Um, but stability is always going to come at the cost of something. And so that suction is basically, that's it. But if right. what, what we found with, with Marcus's design is board with enough V in it, that the concave seems to do less. So it, while it adds the stability while you're paddling around, it doesn't create that suction while you're, um, while you're paddling around or when you touch down, which is for me, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And um, I would always prefer to have a board that isn't as thick. Like the climber board looks like, like that seriously yeah, thick yeah five or six inches it's it's a big board yeah yeah whereas i think ours are more like four inches four to four and a half so to me it feels like i'm closer to the foil um we made one board as a prototype and made it really thick and it just felt like the mast was even longer you know it just mm-hmm. makes, like, feels like you're further away from the foil so that's so people talk about how long masts feel like like a mast that's too long doesn't feel so nice um, that's what I sort of feel with a thicker board. Um, what, what do you, what mass size do you ride on your downwind runs mostly? So this is a good question as well. I, I, for, for those learning, you start with the shortest mast you can, because it's going to be easy to get up and going. Once you can get up and going, you can start going longer. The, the reason I say you should start going longer is because especially in the ocean where there's a little bit sort of messy conditions, um, if the swell's coming one way and the wind's going the other way, you're going to get clipped by the swell if you're on too short a mast. So for, for me, I was with the GoFall stuff, I was pretty much running an 85 centimeter, which is the 32 and a half inch. Mm-hmm. Um, if it, I tried the 36 and a half, but the extra weight felt too much and I was probably running too low. So I sort of stuck with the 32 and a half. Um, I was about to, uh, then the Axis, I've got that their sizes are 90, 82 and 75. Um, they sent me the 91st and well, I could paddle up on it easily and it felt like I could turn really hard, but sort of just straight line pumping it wasn't as fast because I had to sit too high on the mast and it wasn't comfortable sitting that high above the water. So mm-hmm. I then went to the 75 because I just got the 75 and the 80 at the same time and going from 90 to 75 was 15 centimetres, a big jump, and I found I was just basically I was either touching down or breaching too often. So because I didn't have that 15 centimetre buffer, I was the board was either bogging in the water and while I wasn't falling off, it was touching and then releasing or I was breaching a wingtip because I was trying to run high. So I've settled on the 82 for the moment because basically I'm not touching down, I'm not breaching, and I can still turn pretty hard. Um, yep. And also I can paddle up easy enough on the 90, so it was like that, that's not a factor. So for those learning, a shorter mask can be easy to get up and going just because there's a little bit less weight, a little bit less um, drag, I guess. So you're going to get up easier. The foil is close to the water. And then... It depends on conditions. So if I'm going to do a bay run and I want to go as fast as I can, I'll probably use a 75 centimeter mast. 
But if I want to, if it's honking and the swell's massive and the wind's massive, I'd probably use the 90 because I can turn harder. I'm less likely to breach. Speed's not an issue because I'm probably trying to not go too fast a lot of the time. It's like almost towing when it's big like that. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to fall off. So, but for most of the time, I prefer the 82. Yeah. I'm on the, a 78, which when it's set up, gives me 80 and that's my favorite size now for everything. Yeah. I ride that in the that's, surf. I love it in the surf. Cause I get more bank. Yeah. Um, yeah. It has the angle you get like that's uh, I trade out with a few fall camps and I was trading out with a few crew and they a lot of them are riding like sort of sub 80 centimeter mass, so like more like 75 or 72. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I do it. I'm just breaching everywhere. Cause I'll sort of bank over and the wing tip comes out and I'm just gone. Um, yep. no matter how good a wing breaches, if your mast is short and you're banking too hard, you're going to lose it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, it hurt me in the foam though. Like the longer mast is a lot more difficult to kind of like tweak stuff out in the foam. Cause you're just higher yep. and then all your angles are, are different. Maybe I get that. I think I just need bigger surf, but in the small surf, it's like, I'm kind of coming out the back a lot now, Yeah. like where, or I need a longer board. Cause I kind of like catch the nose. And That's then what I was going to say. Was just chatting to Josh Koo and I guess another, the guys I coach about this, the, the white water rebounds, which is totally off topic, but I want to talk about it. <laughs> the white water <laughs> rebounds, I guess I think about it like sort of two different versions. The first one is like staying above the white water the whole time and sort of foiling out of it. And then the second one is like doing a white water rebound. And like you talked about having the wing come out the back. And I sort of like talk about tails. them as, yeah, blow towels. Yeah. I, I call them like a planned breach because you kind of, the, the foil's coming out, your board touches down, and then you foil out of it. Yep. So you, you can't do a blow towel staying on foil the whole time. I don't think. I haven't seen anyone do it yet. <laughs> no, I always land on the yeah. foam. So I can hit the foam and then ride out at the bottom. Yeah, but, but you can't but blow yeah. the tail out. Because you're stalling, you're inducing a stall. Exactly. And I mean, it's almost like a planned stall though, because exactly. you got the wave. Generally, I do them on connection turns or like steep sections, but like, mm. yeah, you want to, like I like almost ollie off the bottom of the wave. Exactly. Yeah. So that I'm already getting my speed going the other way. And then I'm trying to time that throw. Like if there wasn't a wave there, you could still do the same thing. And it would just be like a big, like, like, like throwaway air type of deal. Yeah. But with the wave there, you've got that, like that transition, that downhill. So when you, yep. I guess, blow the tail out, you're almost like, if the wave to slam into it, exactly. You're like, yeah. that's why I talk about like a planned breach. Like you hit the white water and then you're planning to be nose down. If you touch the white water, then you fall out of it. Yeah. So if, if you go too far nose down, you're actually going to nose dive. And if you go too far flat, you're actually going to get sort of the foil's going to re engage to it and you're going to get blown off the back. So it's like yep. getting that angle right. And yeah, I've been watching your stuff. You're ripping that. It's sick. The blow towels are epic. What's happened though with the longer mass though is that I'm nose diving a lot. Because you're coming in at this like much steeper angle. It's only what, like three, four inches difference. It's a big difference. Yeah. But it changes everything on that entry angle. Yeah. Uh, but it's so, worth it to be able to do the turns. Yeah. The turn is so the, much more fun. The carving you can do on the longer yeah. mast is next level. Like you can fully lean it over and, you know, sometimes your wingtip doesn't even come out, but your rail's right. almost touching down. You know, it's like I was chatting to Bennett's probably two years ago and he was talking about how he's you know using this short mast I'm like dude you've got to get on a long mast because you could be at it like you're already ripping but you're going to be carving for way longer and harder and like look at him now he's yeah. like the turns he's doing next level and yeah. yeah he was the guy who convinced me to finally go longer because mm. i like the 72 75s and he's like did you have to just do it 
And so I tried it. Um, he was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it's good. It's, and it's just different foiling, isn't it? Because on the shorter mast, you're like snappier. Yep. Whereas the longer mast, you're just drawing those turns out a bit more. It's like more Paco. <laughs> you know, it's, it's something I've been thinking about a whole lot lately is like the phases of foiling. And I think it depends on where you come from, but for like short borders coming into foiling, I find that the first thing you want to do is like, oh man, I'm foiling. Now I can do all the same stuff that I was doing on a short board, but on a foil in a smaller wave. And so like, if you watch people like Adam, like me or like, um, like Tom Earl or Captain Froth a lot, like all the guys, like the, the lines, you know, it's wider stance. It's really aggressive in the pocket um, like very surf, like back footage, like super back footed. And then I think what starts to happen is you start to think about, wait a second, I can carry all the speed. I have all these advantages because I'm on foil. It's not exactly the same sport. And so you start like changing. And if you think about like what the, like the final phase, I think of foiling is it's like people that have done it from first principles. So I think like Kiahi and Kane, you know, if you look at Kane, Kane doesn't really foil like a short border at all. He has approached foiling like he's flying an airplane under his three feet under his feet, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And and it's incredibly efficient. Like he's so much more minimal than most guys. And Kiahi's the same way. And I, I attribute that for Kiahi to the fact that he probably spent a ridiculous amount of time on foils while kiting. Yeah. And then came into foiling with already understanding that and and you know, he's an incredible short border, but I don't think he would classify himself as a short border. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of the, one of the world's Ultimate. best. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that if you, I think that's like the progression, like even if you look at what Adam is doing now, he is doing the most, you know, insane surf lines, but he's drawing them like a foiler, not like he probably was three years ago. When he was when he the MFC gear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I so cool. The other guy to mention that sort of line is, um, Matt foils from the sunny coast on the lift gear. He's full shortboarding, like big snaps in the pocket and in between right. sort of weaving and just looking for those pockets. And yeah, like you said, like Bennett's is, and we're talking about, like talking about the waterman. I think people that go from surfing to foiling it, they're like becoming more waterman like, like less shortboard sort of mentality. Yeah. And they're sort of broadening their horizon. Um, and Kiahi and Kyle, any like the, you know, the, the classic examples of that, Same. but Zane, yes, yeah, or so many guys. Um, but yeah. you know, once you can open your mind to, and like you're becoming that too, now too, Matt. Like you're you're winging, you're sup sup foiling downwind, you're surf foiling, and like understanding that. And this is what I think I spoke about last time. There's always conditions. <laughs> it's pumping for everything all the time. There's always something that's going to suit. So, um, yeah, I guess the the point I want to make is even the the different like. When you when I foil and surf, even if I was just surf foiling, I'll look at the conditions and if it looks like it's good for pumping, I'll go out and I'll take out a big foil. Mm-hmm. Take out the 1099. If it looks like it's bigger and more surfy, I'll take out the 799. And I'll basically I won't care if I don't link waves. I just want to catch the wave and just surf it as best I can. Versus yeah. when it's sort of mushy, smaller stuff, or even downwind, you just you're looking at doing these smooth lines to connect and pump less. Whereas, right. you know, so there's all these like almost sub-disciplines within every single discipline, which I think is, you know, and I was saying to my, my wife, I'm like, she's like, when are you going to have a day off? I'm like, there's never a day off. It's always <laughs> pumping, you know? 
And to be honest, the days that I've been having off are normally the light, glassy, light wind, glassy, pumping days of surf because it's just too crowded. And I'll, I'll forego that. And then when the wind comes, I'll be out there for like six hours all day because <laughs> it's no yeah, one out. And it's... There are no crowds anymore. Well, I haven't been frustrated from a crowd in probably a year and a half at this point. Like yeah. that's so incredible. Like, yeah. I don't, it's not even something that bothers me. Like yeah. I, like I never even think about it. We're um, in this, like you talk about surfing in the sixties, you know, we're in that for foiling right now. That's, I truly believe that because people talked about back then, you're like, you're driving up and down the coast and you're surfing, like they surfed Snapper and they surfed Angari and they surfed all these spots to themselves. Now, if there's even a wave breaking at those spots, you know, there's 50, 60 guys out. So it's yep. like, it's pretty cool foiling now. We're, we're kind of look like I'll call up mates like Zane, what are you doing? Let's go for a foil because you want to go share it with someone. Um, so it's it's pretty cool right now. You know, we're it's growing fast, and, and I think, but I think the advantage of foiling is there are so many spots that are extremely fun foil waves, and no matter how many people, it's like like downwind is. I guess that's why I push it so hard. I can't, I can't imagine downwind foiling is ever going to get crowded. <laughs> I would if, love it if there were 30 guys that wanted to go every day or 40 guys, because it, like, I'm out there most days, like right now anyways, like wish there was someone out here with me. Yeah, fully. Yeah. Like that's the same with me. I'm like, I we could call Zane up all the time. Like Zane, we're going downwind today. He's like, oh, I got work till now. I'm like, uh, well, my window's here. Maybe we'll cross out, cross over. And, but it's, um, the, the hard part is that you have to have people that are a similar skill level, even with shore runners, or else you're just gone. Exactly. Uh, or they're gone, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I guess that comes down, like for, for bay runs, I think it's probably going to, like for us here in Sydney, it's probably going to be more of the communal thing because there will be a foil size that kind of fits perfect. Like, you know, if you're going fast in a bay run, you're just like, you're being antisocial, you're not having more fun. <laughs> Whereas, right. <laughs> on a ba- like you want to actually like Zane went out the other day with Josh and a couple of the other guys I coach and he went on the lift 200 and I think Josh was quicker than him on the Axis 1150 but Zane was like dude I wasn't racing I was just surfing the whole way down the down the run and um that's where I think it's got like those really good conditions in enclosed waters are probably going to be like the party waves of downwinding Whereas the yeah. ocean runs, I think that there's just so many variables and you can use so many different foils because of all the different speeds of bumps that are on offer that I think it's always going to be just really spread out. Yeah. I can't ever see it being crowded, which no. is a beautiful thing because 10 years, it's going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's good. that's why, like, for me, like, that's why I've always wanted, like, my main focus for the foiling side of things has been the downwind because... um surf foiling it's just going to get more and more crowded and it's going to grow as it is already it has been um but downwind foiling i guess if we can get more people downwind foiling they're going to have um, exposure to those really good conditions and it's never going to be too crowded whereas even here sometimes like there's a few times where it's like oh a few too many foilers out today you know there's like 10 guys sitting on one peak and it's all fun everyone's frothing but it's like i might just let them go a little bit longer and i'll come i'll go out when they come in so it's yeah What else should we touch on, James? What haven't we talked about? I've been frothing. It's been good to catch up, mate. Um, dude, are, are you going to Hood River? I want to. 
Yeah. I really want to, I would, you know, Dave keeps telling me that I should head out that way. And, and TJ keeps chirping mm, no, on me. So TJ is not there. Yeah. 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 So I, it might be late summer. Are you going? I'm probably not. I'm doing a race up in Northern Queensland, um, Cairns. It's called the great barrier reef ocean challenge. And it's two races. One's like 18 Ks and the next weekend it's like a 40 K. So it's like, are they foil or are they? Yeah. So- well, you, you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to, I want to foil it. I'll go up there with my foil and all my different size wings. So if it's super light, I'll use the 1150 and if it's super windy i'll use <laughs> the 899 probably so it's um the beauty of it up there is it's inside the reef so if it's windy enough probably not a lot of swell it's just gonna be super clean conditions from, from my understanding anyway um a friend of mine ben tardu did it a few years ago on the foil and oh did he foil? he might not have foiled it he, anyway he, he supped it downwind paddled it and he said it was super fun super clean bumps and it wasn't even that windy when he did it so um, um Gonna do a road trip up there and have fun with that race. That'd be sick. Mm. That'd be sick. That I want to do Hood River and I want to do Maui. Those are the two trips the, that I'm on. The Molokai to Oahu race organizers are running that um, blue water race on Oahu, and it doesn't look perfect for a foil, but I think they're going to come up with a course that's going to be pretty cool. And so I guess I'm, I guess. So I'm trying to steer the direct, like get people to races because if we support the races in foiling, then they will continue to accommodate races for foiling. Whereas if they run something and no one turns up, you know, it's, they're not going to continue with it. So, you know, races like Hood River, races like Molokai to Oahu, the races on Maui, the races here locally in Australia, I guess everyone that does foil and, and wants to sort of downwind and have fun with a bunch of crew, there's no better place to do that than racing because normally at a race, people arrive a few days before you get a few runs in and then you do the race with people and you get like the full on, okay, we're racing, you know, and you get to get a good idea of what speeds you're sort of running and where you're at with other people for those certain conditions. But it's just a good time and meeting new people. And yeah, I, I'm, I guess it's a good way to grow the community of it all, I guess. Yeah, I'd be dope. I, uh, I, I want to do a foil event in Florida because we have so much on offer here. You've got winging, prone, running, downwinding now. Yeah. And basically just do it like it's just a foiling week, but you hope to run a couple different events. I think this that's probably a year or two off. I but think then that's whatever the best way to do it. Yeah. Maybe it's a prone surf contest or mm-hmm. maybe it's downwind run or or maybe you get both in. I think that would be awesome. Would they? So Actually, just to get is, everybody together. This, so yeah, I definitely, I want you to do that. I'm going to hold you accountable now that you've said it. <laughs> Yeah. I think Brian and I and Pedigo <laughs> keep talking about it, like the three of us. Just do like a week, because like a lot of the times, I yeah. guess the problem is people do like week, like a one day race, and the wind doesn't turn up or the waves don't turn up, and you're kind of stuck. Whereas this is what I was sort of saying before: people who foil are becoming watermen because there is always a condition that it's epic for. So whether it's you know howling onshore, go out in your wing. If it's howling offshore, you know you can do, you know you can always prone foil. Um, in the surf if it's cross shore downwind is epic so it's you know and if there's no wind you know the surf's always going to be good too so it's like you're kind of covering your bases for everything and so for an, a week-long event even even a weekend event i think if there's no wind it's it's a surf event if there is wind it's a downwind event if it's onshore wind it's a wing event and you're kind of like bring all the gear guys because it could be anything <laughs> i think it'd be so good and if it's super flat we get austin toby to take out his wake boat <laughs> yeah well, try to, I guess, try to do backflips with him. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing, like, and even if you don't have a boat, like 
the amount of crew that are doing dock starts and beach starts is blowing my mind. Like yep. for me, I, I've, I sort of did and I ticked the box. I'm like, yeah, I've done it before, but I'd always prefer to go on the surf or downwind, but there's crew that I guess don't have a surf background, don't have a wind background. They just think foiling looks cool. And they're starting in the safety of flat water and a dock. And it's crazy to see the growth of that. And so even in the future, maybe there's going to be like, you put a pontoon out there and you do dock starts and who can get the furthest or who can do a, like do a race and like man on man, either side of the dock and you sort of dock start and continue. I don't know. Like there's so many opportunities for foiling and it doesn't just hit those, you know, shortboard surfers. It's not targeting right. just them. It's targeting wingers or, you know, wind, wind wankers. It's targeting flat water guys. It's sort of, you know, it's drawing from so many different parts of ocean sports and the you know, stuff that we love, but also things that, we didn't even like people we wouldn't even associate with because we'd never meet them because we're doing completely different things. So right. it's, it's pretty cool. And I think falling, I was chatting to someone the other day and I said, do you think falling will ever be bigger than surfing? And they're like, Oh, nah, no way, no way. And I'm like, I reckon it might be because if you've got wing, you've got dock flat water, you've got surf, you've got downwind and you've got those four disciplines where surfing only really has that sort of one pull. And while but surfing is really what foiling does not have is it doesn't have the guy who can't surf at all, but likes walking down the beach with his surfboard and going on vacations and foiling is never going to be that because That's true. dangerous. I mean, yeah. it's not suit. We like, it's not very dangerous, but in comparison, you can paddle out on a longboard, not catch any waves, paddle in, say you surfed. Yeah. And you know, like that's and like then, a and thing. surfboard's cheap too. Whereas I was thinking the equivalent to that is like an e-foil, but e-foils are too expensive to even put it in that category. Are you guys seeing a lot of e-foils there? Not heaps, but there's probably like in that local area, there was probably only one or two guys a while ago, and now there's probably um five or six guys now buzzing around. Um the foil drive has taken there. off a bit. Yeah, have you tried it? I love it. I, I use it a lot for, for coaching. Um, and I, I want to use it. I want to like try downwind on a prone board with my 799 and see how that goes because obviously prone board hard to get going, but with a full, like a big volume prone board anyway, foil drive in and then just see how long I can go. That's, that's on my list, my hit list. I got a long list, but that's in there. <laughs> <laughs> What's on the list. Go through the list. Oh, the list. I guess yeah. I, want to, I want to do more of the deflate downwinding. I haven't done that in a while. I want to, I want to foil 200 Ks. That's on the list. Yep. Um, I want to, oh, I want to go to 200 Ks without coming off foil. Oh, I, I'll probably stop for food and water. Cause that's, we're okay. looking at 10 hours. I'll carry what that's I can. Insane, even to think about. It's a long way. Yeah. It's insane. Um, I yeah. did an hour on the wing yesterday. And my legs are a little sore today. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. You got yeah. It's it's um nuts. Actually, by the time I release this, I probably have announced it, but I'm I'm probably going to be doing a um uh, that 200k foil within the next two weeks. Um, just waiting on conditions. I've organised a boat, and we're going to have like a live live updates. Um, and a bunch of media crew to sort of film it all and sort of are you trying to for a cost. Um, 
more awareness, I guess. It's it, the, the costs have just gone out of control. It's hard to ask people for money and then say we're doing it for charity. So it's um, basically we're doing it to raise awareness for, for brain cancer, from what my dad passed away from. Um, so That's, it's... Um... Uh, I was really sad to hear that and something that, I mean, maybe we don't talk about now, but like we went through that, Sarah had, you know, my wife had a crazy and she got really lucky we caught it and it was, yeah, I, I saw, I remember I think it was just after my dad was diagnosed. I saw that. Yeah. That's why you moved to Florida, right? Yeah. That was five, five years ago now. I was maybe before. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we moved to Florida. Mm. Yeah. But um that's yeah. that's awesome that you're doing it for that i think that's really cool yeah so i did the molokai the last i guess proper race i did molokai to oahu i raised money for dad when he was alive like brain cancer research when he was alive um and we talked about foiling like open ocean swells like we're doing now like um and and he was my dad was a legend and he's like just such a creative mind he was like you should foil around Antarctica, get down to the roaring forties. You just be able to get on one swell and just do loops of the, of the globe. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, sad. I'm like, dad, maybe we do a couple of test runs first. I'm like, let's see if I can do like, you know, a day up and down the coast of, you know, around Sydney. And so that's what we're organizing, but I also want to do Bass Strait. So either from Tasmania across to Victoria and then um, uh, the great Australian bite. So like Western Australia, basically across to South Australia, I guess. So they're the, that's my hit list, I guess, for the downwind foiling stuff. And I'm hoping this first, I guess, 200K, I think it's a world record, so I'm calling it a world record foil, um, 200Ks, and that'll sort of give me the confidence to do longer ones and maybe it's multi-day sort of trips. But, um, yeah, yeah it's the hardest thing, I guess, for foiling is um, like a, a 12 hours of wind is hard to find, you know. Right, Normally, but you're covering so much more ground. You see, have you been following what Casper's doing right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's doing like 30 Ks, but you could, I mean, on on downwind or on a wing, you could crush 30 Ks in you know, an hour. Hour and a half. And a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like easily on a like that's for sure. So I've I've got all these ideas in my head. Like um I'm watching Casper and I'm like, man, even if it was like no wind on a big foil, you'd go quicker, but obviously you're expending more energy in multiple days. Um I love what Casper's doing. How cool is that? The adventure stuff. Like, so cool. I've yeah. been following the last few days. Yeah. yeah it's, it's... Check the captain's log each day. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he called yeah. it the captain's log. It's always like, I'm going to have a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so cool. So yeah, that's, that's on my hit list. And yeah, hopefully there's a whole bunch of, um, I've got sponsors to put a bunch of stuff in. Axis was a major contributor and um, we'll have a big boat and we'll have social media updates for that. And um Probably by the time I release it, I'm hoping I've already done it because <laughs> I'm thinking next Friday. <laughs> Maybe it'll be on the day. <laughs> but, um, That'd be rad. Yeah. How is, um, you know, since our first times talking foiling, you've do like you're, you, you've, you've dived in headfirst now into all things foiling. How's it going? Like, uh, obviously yeah. it's the most fun thing ever, but like, it, yeah, you're seeing your, the market growing, the coaching growing, like all, all of that happening. Yeah. It's big awesome. time. It's, it's, crazy how much it's grown like when i first started i guess my online coaching it was mainly aimed at just the sup race and sup surf crew and right. since then <laughs> like in the last two years like the foilers have come on to the like because i got a facebook private facebook page 
and like this like the foilers have hijacked it and we're just going <laughs> all foiling and it's um there's like I guess foilers are such enthusiastic people and they're like all in and I've got heaps of questions I got heaps of feedback and I guess I wasn't getting a drug from, yeah <laughs> I wasn't getting we'll that from the drug addict dude yeah, <laughs> fully. I wasn't getting that from the stuff race crew so like I've kind of shifted focus and I'm about to launch the wing foil course and that's sort of a market that's grown faster than I could have even imagined I wasn't I definitely wasn't one of the first ones to be wing foiling I was definitely foiling well probably one of the first to foil in Australia but wing foiling it sort of popped up and I was you know well I was foiling and having fun downwind and the wing came along like I kind of feel like I'm doing something like that already um and then I jumped on the wing stuff and the crew that I've met winging epic and it's just like it's a tool that can be used to help you downwinding but also help you to toe into waves and then also just sail like and just having fun in flat water sailing back and forth and working on tacks and jibes and jumps and it's pretty fun like it's it's been super fun to to write the course and go out and film the stuff and yeah it's it's such a cool community that's grown like in the last five years it's crazy yeah, I, I am still in amazement that it hasn't taken over Florida yet. I mean, we have a growing crew, but it's not. And what's, what's crazy to me is that Florida is the place you should foil. Yeah. I mean, there is no surf. I mean, you get three epic days a year, 10 decent surf days a year, and the rest you're groveling. Yeah. And it's always fun on foil. And it's still just our crew. There, there's no one from like the hardcore surf crew that has gotten on a foil yet. And I just don't understand it. I mean, the uptake in California and Hawaii and Australia seems to be 10 X what it is in Florida. And it seems like we need it more than anyone else. Yeah. Percentage wise, I'd probably still say it's probably similar here. Um, like there's a lot of surfers that have foiled before, but Mm -hmm. with the, with the summer and winter we've had, the summer we've had just gone, the surf's been pumping. So all those guys that I guess were surfers that were foiling, and now surfing a lot more than they're foiling because the surf's been just like literally yeah. the surf's been epic. And when the surf's good, the, the best foil waves are just breaking. So it's like, you almost have to decide, do I want to surf, you know, four to six foot barrels or do I want to go to this little corner where it's little mush burgers, but I want to foil. So it's super fun. So it's, um, right. Sort of, I, I tend to just choose the, the least crowded option. Um, if it's no one out, they'll be in the surf. And if it's, um, if it's crowded, I'll go foil. So it's, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like that you say that, I guess, because here in Australia, like guys like Dean Morrison and Parker and all these guys are foiling, you know, Mr. Bennett's was a pro surfer. So it's um, interesting that it's not, I think the biggest handbrake on getting people to get into foiling is probably just the cost of equipment and, and the, it's a, it's a pretty steep learning curve. Yeah. First couple of ske- sessions are pretty sketch. Yeah. Yeah. My, my uncle's a surfboard shaper and he he tried foiling about four years ago. So the equipment was still, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty lifty, I guess. Not as nice as what it is now. And um, he tried it a few times and then he got stitches in the head and then a bunch of other people learnt to foil. And he was like, nah, it's not for me. It's I, It was cool when no one else was doing it. Now there's too many other people doing it. And I hurt myself. So I'm going to go back to surfing. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody surfs and you never get hurt surfing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, just some people are just it's ingrained within them isn't it like the grumpy old short border yeah. yeah i've never understood that i i really credit sup surfing 
for opening like my mind to other surf sports. I think that's the best way to explain it. Like you need like your gateway, (laughs) your gateway drug (laughs) to expand yourself to other things. My my brother, he, um, we grew up together obviously. And I got into the sub stuff and he was like, when we first started the sub surfing, he sub surfed with me. And then I sort of went and did the, you know, the tour, you know, the sub race and the sub surfing stuff. And he didn't, he was at uni, I think. And he always kite surfed and I taught him to foil and he's a pretty good foiler now, but every afternoon he just goes to North Narrabeen after work, does his 30 to 60 minute surf comes in and I always call him like, how was it? He goes, Oh, it was all right. <laughs> I'm like, well, it sounded like it was a good foil day. He's like, Oh, foil. he's just like, he can foil, but he's, he's just, I think the, the allure of shortboarding is that some days are really good. Whereas mm-hmm. because foiling, it's always good, always pumping. It's like people get a bit stale on it, I think. And maybe that's a thing, but it's like, I'm talking to the wrong person because you're definitely yeah. not stale. But I think no. like like surfers, like my brother is an example, um, like he, he would agree that foiling is great. But for him, I think the handbrakes are the setup and he's always borrowing my gear, so... I usually leave him with a setup, but the setup is a bit of a pain in the ass to him. Um, having it in the back of his car takes up a bit more room versus the shortboard that he can just go to the same one spot every day. He knows he's going to get waves. He's going to. Does he rip? He's a good surfer, but he's not a pro. Like he's right. like he'd be competent anywhere he went out. Like he could surf any spot he wanted to. Um, he mm-hmm. did a trip around Australia and got some epic waves down in um you know all, all the way around um up up north in wa and south australia and so he's you know he can he's he's taken he surfed with um mark healy actually down in south oz um traded like tubes with him and he was he was like oh it must have been the spot because he was here um so yeah he's yeah he's a he could do, he's very talented he could do anything he wanted but yeah he just goes out surfs northy every afternoon and north Narrabeen's like like it's a probably it's a, probably the best wave in our area, but it's also the most crowded and most like the, the best surfers and sort of aggressive surfers are there too. <laughs> I foiled out there on the point, and you know I wouldn't recommend foiling out there. And the, if you're going to foil out there, definitely stay away from the the main break where the surfers are because they will yell at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have any of that here, which is beautiful. Mm. I mean. The, the spots that people surf here are the exact same as the spots that we foil. It's just, they're not the spot, you know, it's all the same sandbars basically. Yeah. It's just, so, so epic. Yeah. When I had to move back from Costa Rica, like I was as depressed as you could possibly be being a surfer and basically just was like watch TV for a year. <laughs> like it was bad. And then foiling came along and now it's like, more fun here than it was living in Costa Rica. And that just blows my mind. I feel like it's just, just this karmic like gift somehow. Like Seriously. we had to deal with a really hard situation and everything felt like it all ended and it, like we navigated it. And then all of a sudden it was like, here's foiling. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how it feels. <laughs> like, wow. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I'm just so grateful every day. Yeah. And that's, and I think that honestly, is probably why um which that's why i'm confused it hasn't taken off more in florida i guess 
but probably why in Sydney in the last six months we've had a lot of good surf that it probably hasn't taken off as much as it maybe could have. Like I was hanging out for, you know, as we came into summer, um, like heading into Christmas holidays and that sort of thing. I was hoping, oh, I can't wait for summer. It's going to be onshore. It's going to be gutless waves. And across the road from me, there's like a, um, usually a salad. If, if it's over three foot, it's a closeouts left and right. But if it's under three foot, it's like the perfect foil banks all the way up and down the beach. And right. so, but literally this whole last three months, there's been about five days where it's been good for foiling because the surf hasn't gotten smaller than like three foot for like three months. It's been either massive um, or pumping offshore or just too stormy. And then like three or four days in between systems where it's like, ah, oh, my foil heaven is back and I don't have to drive anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing that's crazy is that it used to be all about the surf trip. And now I don't feel the need to travel. I mean, there's trips that I want to do, it's more about just going out to be amongst the crew, yeah. like foil with everybody. Yeah. But it's not really about the need of, of surfing. It's like we get, we just had a four day flat spell. And for the first two days, I was like, oh, thank you. Know, I can rest yeah. for a couple of days because I send it pretty hard almost every day. Um, by day three, I was like, all right, let's go. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm recovered. Four, let's go. <laughs> yeah. My wife's like, is there going to be waves? Like, you're in a really bad mood. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. my wife said the same thing to me yesterday i hadn't been in the water for like three days and she was like why are you so grumpy is it because you haven't left the house in three days because you yeah because <laughs> you was at like a bit of a cold and she's like wasn't covid but it was just a cold and she's like i think you're better you should go out <laughs> it's nice to have a have a partner that's super supportive of knowing that you need to be in the water and About do that addiction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah instead of like what you're going foiling again yeah no you she's the biggest legend she go foil she like drives <laughs> me for downwinders all the time she's like yeah is it windy maybe you just want to downwind today and i'm like perfect yeah yeah, yeah. there so. my joke here is i've got two kids um kemper and damo damo foils all the time yeah he's, he's ripping actually, now yeah. yeah awesome he's starting to do like legit runners with me now and i'm thinking about getting him aboard to start doing the downwind i think he's kind there of ready to, there's your buddy you got there you got a friend to downwind with that's what i'm hoping yep. my little fella <laughs> yeah, it's dude it's the best like foiling with your kids is, is the bad play music with my daughter and and i and i surf with demo awesome. um but the joke is because sarah the kids have all these activities and we got to drive around all the time and sarah does a lot of that and um my daughter plays volleyball and it's like club and it's like really intense and like but I joke with Sarah, it's like she has three kids because she's driving them to their practices and stuff. And she's driving me to like down the beach or pick it up. And like the other day she gave us a ride. We did an epic runner. And I think we had like five guys in the truck and Sarah driving us down the beach. And it's a great yeah, picture. It's exactly the same. So like when when um my wife felt pregnant, I'm like, oh, you're gonna have your second child, are you? Because <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like, don't don't forget about your first, all right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to her credit, she's been very good so far. One month in, it's been good. <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations, by the way. Yes, yeah, he's such a little little cruiser. He's been good, little That's baby. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you follow uh, Pedigo on Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. You see him posting 
I don't know if it's on his account or they have like a family account, but he had banner, his kids like two years old, raddest little, he's got him in a BMX bike now <laughs> and he's fully spending it. it like in yeah. the under 10 or like under eight league. He like <laughs> races with all these guys. And like, I feel like your kid's going to be the same way. Just fully sending it. Like so many it's people all, have check that out. So many people have asked me if he's been on a foil yet. I'm like, oh, not yet. I'll, I'll get him in the in the in the pouch soon, and maybe get out the foil drive and go on the lake with him just to <laughs> get him, get give him the taste of it. <laughs> awesome. We had our daughter on a surfboard, like you know, like in the little three inch white water when she was like a one week old, sitting on a board, kind of like riding it. So <laughs> it's awesome. Got a yeah. beautiful picture of it. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm really in enjoying fatherhood so far he's been a good little man and i'm looking forward to to growing up he having him grow up and do stuff with him i hope he likes what i do <laughs> probably well yeah probably because it's such a i mean spending time in the ocean with your kids has got to be the best thing that there is yeah like, like me weird. doing it with my I, I was chatting to my wife obviously after my my dad passed away and i was like we should have kids before we get too old you know you don't want to i don't want to be an old dad and not be able to do anything with him so you know, I, when I was 18, my dad was like sort of late 40s. So we went to Hawaii and surfed, you know, all those yep. spots. And Maui and Louie led to kite surf together. He told me to windsurf and all that stuff. It was like such good memories growing up, you know. So it's like I want to sort of recreate that with, with my little man now. So really. It's awesome, man. Like we had kids pretty early. Like we were 26, I guess, when we had Damo. Yeah. And like none of our friends did. And so our friends were still going out and partying and we were just, you know, hanging out, you know, at the house with the two kids. And, um, but I was like, I know this is going to be amazing. Now they've got young kids (laughs) and I'm just sending it with our kids. And it's so cool. Full circle. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, um, it's exciting journey. And it's cool to see you with your, with your two kids doing stuff with them. That's what's all about. It's, It's a little bit, um, humbling though, because whatever it takes me, like, months to learn demo just gets it in like two sessions yeah and, and so yeah it's uh i think that i will not be the best foiler in our family probably within the next year i think he's gonna catch up pretty quickly yeah. oh that's credit <laughs> to you I, though I but yeah. yeah that's credit just to you for to teaching him yeah he just got the lift night the problem for him has been gear mm. he's been really held back by gear because it's all just he weighs 100 pounds and the lift 90, he just got it like a week ago. He had broken his foot. So he's only had a couple sessions on it, but he's just like, dad, I can turn. Cause he shortboards good. 13. Yeah. Like he's like, dad, I can turn now. It's like, Oh, he's been able to pump. Like the, he's been on the 120, which was like the most efficient foil until that point. Yeah. But that he'd be like, I found that when I was trying some of the lift stuff, I found I was maxing out on the 120 and like pretty small waves. So I can imagine he would have been majorly overdone. <laughs> the 90 probably, he could probably go smaller again. Uh, he probably could. Yeah. He, he probably could. He, we did a tow trip to Costa Rica with a buddy who uh, lives down there where we used to live in February. And he was on the Cabrina 650 to, in, towing into like well overhead waves. Yeah. Like for me, yeah, that was epic. He was like, yeah, aimed out on that trip. That's awesome. Yeah, the the toe stuff. I was then working on some stuff with Axis, but um, the the best stuff that I've the smallest foil I've used is the Lift sixty, I think it is, and that mm-hmm. thing was Zane and I had a we had a good session on it, and that's yeah. I keep telling the Axis guys I'm like we need to make something small and fast because it's <laughs> it's just a matter of getting a small enough foil in those big waves, and 
it was the first time that I actually, um, you know, was looking for a, like we were waiting for the sets because on the medium to smaller size waves on that day, the lift 60 was like stalling out for me, um, which is, you know, so I was like, okay, this is the blueprint that I think all four brands should be looking at. So, um, um, I have a buddy who tows big waves all the time and he has the army 525 now. Yeah. H a, and he just chopped it a bit and is saying that it's he, he tows he's got like tons of gear too and been looking for that thing for bigger surf mm-hmm. and he's saying that's the best that he's found for like not maxing out in huge energy awesome uh, yeah it's cool to say yeah. there's a shift towards that I, I got a question for you so yeah flex. and i got about um i got about five minutes yeah i, I gotta pick up my daughter from volleyball <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. That should be quick. Flex on masts. Um, yeah. So for big wave stuff and downwind, I would say definitely stiffer is better. For small wave stuff, which you're, you're doing more of it than I am, but small wave surf foiling, where do you see flex as – where do you see flex? I don't anymore. Yeah. I used to like flex, but I think that it was very difficult to differentiate what was attributed to flex and what was attributed to foil setup in general, like your front tail, because there weren't options two years ago. Mm. So, you know, like the MFC stuff, when I got on that super flexy, I was like, but I I was like, I kind of like flex. Well, I think I just liked the fact that those were like the first dihedral foils that I'd been on and they surfed really good. And you're Mm -hmm. probably dealing with the flex, but it was still much better than what you were riding otherwise. And it hasn't been until I've been able to get on third-party masks and go apples to apples, Sadris, No Limits, Takuma, or whatever, you know, I've had a couple of those opportunities now to really feel um what it like, is you're liking. Yeah. Independently how the spoil feels with different flex characteristics and different speeds. Yeah. Because you know, the masks have different speeds as well. And I have found that. I like something that is very stiff because it lets me trust it a lot more, especially with wider foils. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I rode the Go Foil 140, I want to say. The, the GL 140, yeah. Yeah, and that was a good foil. Yeah. And, but I don't know now how much it was just like the first really solid setup that I had. Because I think Go Foil is way stiffer than everything else. And so, yep. like I was, I was always, that, that foil always felt in control to me. The other mm-hmm. thing that I think is a big deal is mast placement in regards to where it sits from the leading edge to the leading edge mast to foil. And then also the cord and profile of the mast and that acts as a, as a fin. And so, you know, like I could make a case in smaller surf for almost, if you have a pretty unstable, like the 1095 is not a stable foil at all. It like really is kind of like pitchy and weird. And on the Takuma carbon mask, it's almost unsurfable. I didn't like it when I first got it. And then I wrote it on the Sadris and I was like, wait a second. Mm. It's like the mast added so much stability because of it being stiff. But I also feel like the fact that it was a thicker cord and a bigger mast um, and, and thicker in profile, it was, it tracked better. So then all of a sudden I was, I was like surfing instead of kind of safety surfing it, I was surfing a hundred percent. Um, and now I've kind of landed on the no limits cause it's like fast and stiff and light. And now there's a guy that TJ is working with, who's making a custom fuse 
for Takuma that's stiffer and that fits the because Takuma is brilliant in their their foils, but their stuff is just kind of all loose. Yeah. And now this isn't loose anymore, so now that's even more. So like, yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of everything being. I want direct connection to what I'm doing. That awesome. was a long answer, but yeah, no, that's perfect. I'm just worried about your time, but yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> definitely stiffer that's and that's to be honest that's one of the reasons i signed with axis like the stiff yeah. setup like the, the setup is rock solid and you can put a foil on there and you can know what it's gonna do whereas i tried yep. the unifoil stuff and i could probably say that now but it, it was a noodle like it was so soft and they've stiffened it up since i've, I've chatted to pb who's working yep. for unifoil now and they've they fixed yep. that up which is awesome um i'm doing that project with uni right now and so they have sent me they have a, a new mast which I, I guess i can talk about that is much better yeah i was chatting so, with josh yeah. and he was saying the same thing he just tried it and he yeah. said it was like he's like what what flex are you talking about I'm like that must be a new mask because you know about the flex i was talking about um, yeah it's 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 and the one i'm on is an 83 which is a little longer than i like to ride i have the 75 too but it's the older version i don't have the newer version of the 75 um, but also their production is really good just for their, their foils. It's like night and day. I take, I, cause they sent me some of the older stuff that they had and some of the newer stuff and just, you know, holding it. And I, yeah, I do not like flex. That was the first feedback that yeah, I gave. Flex was like, oh, I, we, Zane and I were testing go foil, lift uni and axis. And yep. like, we literally, after the first test with the uni fall, we like changed a few things around. We pretty much like that's unrideable. Like compared to this other stuff, like you can't even compare that. And it was not due to the foils themselves. It was the mast and the fuse. And like, you literally set them up and you like touched the tail wing and the whole thing just like rocked around. And so it's so cool to hear that they've yeah. fixed that. And, and lots of brands are looking at fixing that, which is I'm so excited for the sport of foiling because it's like, yes, we're making progress and everyone's dismissed yep. the flex as a good thing. Um, and agreed that flex is, a bad thing and stiffness is what we want to do. I think if you want any flex in the future, like, cause I think there is a little bit of flex that can be good in waves, I believe, but you'd want to have the flex controlled to just the foil itself, nothing else. And I think it wouldn't even be, I think it would be non-linear in that. I think that you want a very solid center of span mm, and then, and then maybe then have a little bit of flex at the wing. That's going to get into material science and different layups. Yeah. And, but I think that, I think it's being looked at already, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's something that I've been thinking about for a little while is like, mm. um, there, there can be benefits to some motion, like to some, to some flex, but yeah. And flex might not be the right word for that. There might. No, you know, I think you're right. It's like almost, um, like too stiff and you're like rattling around mm -hmm. versus like something that's comfortable and sort of sits into it rather than, you feel every right. little bump. Yeah. Like super high. I think in the next couple of years, we're going to figure out, I say we, but we. the foil industry. <laughs> the, yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, the foiling world <laughs> is going to figure out how to make wider span wings roll yeah. better. And that's going to be, you know, cause I mean the, the efficiency of like an eleven twenty five is amazing, but I can't surf that thing. Yeah. Like it's like, yeah. Um, uh, so it's, I guess I think that was a pretty good chat, mate. Like we had the downwind stuff at the start. We yep. sort of went into a bit of surf foiling stuff events. What sort of events are going to pop up? And we've sort of planted the seed for, for you and Pettigo and then also other people around the world. 
and then talking about stiffness of setups and all that. I think we covered most bases. Pretty fun one. Yeah. That was epic, dude. Thank you. It's already uh, yeah, time flying. (laughs) Yeah, what time? It's like two hours. Thanks. Yeah. Approach it. Send it, brother. Yeah. (laughs) Enjoy your day. I'm going to bed. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thanks for thanks for your time, mate. And yeah, exciting times. How good's foiling? It's best. Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonson.